and Electra, the reason for the lightning brain, at birth, her mother is struck and killed by a lightning bolt, and the lightning bolt rewires Electra's neural circuits in her brain and ultimately her DNA. This is not science fiction. I know enough about, I've read enough about the neuroscience to know our brain is an electrochemical computer. Electra is exceptional, but she's not superwoman. She can't leap over tall buildings at a single bound, but she's a riveting, strong character. This is Unconditioning, discovering the voice within with Whitney Ann Jenkins. Hello and welcome to the 23rd episode of Unconditioning, Discovering the Voice Within, where I bring on guests and we talk about the inner authentic voice and the challenges and the rewards that come from following it. This week, I have with me author Clifford Ratza. Cliff considers himself a simple scholar. He has four degrees in concentrations in math, physics, business, and computers. And he's also the creator and writer of the Lightning Brain series, which is centered around the character Electra Kittner, who was struck by lightning when she was born. And she has cognitive abilities that are far superior to the average human. And she goes on to try to save the world from a techno plague. And I came across Cliff's books because I am the narrator of his audiobook series. And this series came into my life at the height of the pandemic and the parallels of what was happening in life now compared to what was happening in Cliff's books was really fascinating to me, especially because Cliff started writing this series way before the pandemic was even on the horizon. And the books are filled with knowledge and educational information about psychology and neuroscience and quantum physics and AI and history and religion and politics. And so it was a real treat to get to dive deep into the series. But also the characters are very interesting and the story is entertaining. And it was just a very well-crafted, well-rounded series, in my opinion because I got to be really, really intimate with these characters in the story because I was narrating it. So I got to know it probably a lot more than the average reader. So I'm really excited to have Cliff on the podcast and get to talk to him about his process and the creation of this world. He is kind and intelligent and humble, and I'm really excited to share Cliff Ratza with you today. Enjoy. There you are. Oh, how nice. How are you? <laughs> I am fine. And I'm, I'm, I want to thank you for your interviewing me. This is great. Yeah, I'm really excited about this because I've been very intimate with your work. And so in a way, I've been intimate with you because it's your words. And so I'm really excited to go down and explore this. It's a compliment to me that you like the books. And I want to thank you and John Kane for making all this happen. Absolutely. So before we get into all of the books and everything, I'd really like to get to the beginning of what makes you you and go back to the beginning of Cliff sure. when you were perhaps a child or whenever this may occur. So my podcast is about following your inner authentic voice. 
And so I'm wondering, do you have a moment in your life where you remember that you realized that you had an inner voice of your own that wasn't influenced by your environment or your parents or anything surrounding you, but it was purely your own voice? <laughs> yes. As a matter of fact, in sixth grade, I wrote for a, a school report, travel log of a golden doubloon. <laughs> uh, I'm a baby boomer. And since I was pretty good in both mathematics as well as writing, I was channeled into science and stuff like that because of you know, space race and all that. Uh, so, but I've always enjoyed writing. And I knew that I would combine writing with my you know, math and quantitative skills. And while in high school, we read a book this is William Golding's, William Golding's second novel. It's called The Inheritors. And that made me very interested in clashes of civilizations, which is the foundation of the Lightning Brain series and its sequel series. So were you encouraged as a child to tap into your writing and find your voice? Or were you supported? I was I was. I was encouraged to go into science. Uh, I'm, I'm good with numbers as well as with words. And you know, back in the in the late 50s and 60s, Sputnik and the space race, uh, you know, uh, had a lot of you know, generate a lot of interest for kids to go into science. Mm -hmm. I did that, and I subsequently went from science into business. Uh, and my business career has spanned all sorts of companies and 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 uh, industries, and I've written, you know, currently website designs and newsletters and stuff like that. I've always done writing. Fortunately, in the past five years, I've been able to free up time to write my novels. Yeah. So your books are so rich in the knowledge, and and they range from. <laughs> from poetry to philosophy to psychology to like neuroscience and history and religion and politics. So were you raised with any sort of religion? Because I feel like in your books, you explore that to an extent that's pretty open-minded. Yes, I was, I was raised uh, in, uh, I guess, Protestantism, a congregational church. And for me, I'm what I call a simple scholar. I consider myself, you know, uh, mediocre in many things, uh, but I know a, I have a breadth and depth of knowledge, and especially with the science as well as the liberal arts, and I explore that through my novels. Yes, you do. Would you like to talk about the inspiration behind your novels? Um, give the audience a little background on what inspired you to create this world. Sure, and again, I, I know to talk just enough, you know, the Goldilocks rule, <laughs> not too much, not too little. You're totally fine. The uh, William Golding is most famous for Lord of the Flies. His second novel is The Inheritors, which is the clash of civilizations between Neanderthals and Homo sapiens, you know, prehistoric times, mm -hmm. through the eyes of a mentally challenged Neanderthal. I thought that was a fascinating subject. And I thought I would like someday to write a book that shows a clash of homo sapiens when they're 
being threatened by some existential, you know, catastrophes. And I'd like to view that, you know, that confrontation through the eyes of an exceptional being. That's Electric Kittner, my protagonist. I chose females rather than males. I like women better than men. And women are so much more interesting to write about than, than men. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was a delight to be able to voice Electra and through all of that. So it's also very interesting, the parallels of this story compared to what is happening in the world right now. Actually, <laughs> oh. <laughs> with the pandemic happening and Electra trying to save the world from a techno plague. <laughs> um, and, and so I, I began narrating these books like right basically at the start of the pandemic. So, so you had to have written them way before. So how did you know <laughs> what was going to well, happen? There's a saying I learned when I was in uh, uh, Texas and, and, and we, I traveled for running races over to Arkansas. And, and the saying is, even a blind hog finds an acorn now and then. Maybe I was lucky. Uh, but, you know, I do follow current events and uh, the science in my books is not science fiction. It's actually, I call it science future projection. And, you know, I realized that pandemics are something that's going to occur again. You know, when I was a kid, we had uh, uh, the uh, polio. That was a big concern. Then we had AIDS and then Ebola. And I figured, you know, pandemics are just something that's going to happen. So I created a techno plague, which is a man-made mutant virus that escaped from a Chinese laboratory. And you know, it's, uh, it, it's threatening the world. It dummies down people. I also created a Donald Trump-like president to give a wonderful character who's not evil. Uh, he just has a different way of looking at politics. And Electra, the reason for the lightning brain, at birth, her mother is struck and killed by a lightning bolt. And the lightning bolt rewires Electra's neural circuits in her brain and ultimately her DNA. This is not science fiction. I know enough about, I've read enough about the neuroscience to know our brain is an electrochemical computer. Electra is exceptional but she's not superwoman. She can't leave over tall buildings at a single bound, but she's a riveting, strong character. Yeah, I I kind of geeked out with all of the science and just the, the truth behind it. I actually uh, went back, I'm back in school now pursuing my PhD in psychology, and I attribute a lot of that to spending time with Electra. She inspired me to do that. That's a tremendous yeah. compliment. Yeah. The best compliment an author can get is hearing from readers or someone like you that's, that's, that's the voice of Electra that, uh, that you like the books and that in some way they've, in, they've inspired and they've, they've, they've impacted you. That's a big compliment. Yes, absolutely. And so how many books are in the series? The first series, the Lightning Brain series has five books and the readers I read my reviews and the readers always are impressed with how each book is different. Kirk's reviews said when they wrote the review of the fifth book, 
the series has no signs of slowing down. Well, I deliberately ended the first series with five books to keep readers, you know, uh, keep readers' interest in the series, continuing in a sequel series. We have two books already written in the second series. Uh, we, I hope you'll be, you know, the voice for the other audiobooks. Uh, book number eight, I'm writing it right now. And the more I write, the more new characters are introduced. Uh, and that brings in subplots and sub storylines that will extend the series until I guess I die <laughs> while writing. <laughs> Do you have a specific process for writing? Do you have like a writing ritual or does it just flow out of you? How does that happen? I'm fortunate. I guess I have the gift of gab. I've never had writer's block and I have to force myself to stop writing. So I get up early every morning and I do some reading and then I do uh, some writing. What I'm doing right now, I'm writing book number eight and I'm also doing the storyboard for it. I find that having a schedule is good. And I stick to my writing schedule. Every morning I write and in the evening I review it and do some uh, uh, associated reading. Wow, that's fantastic. A lot of people struggle with even being able to sit down and have a schedule because they get too much in their brain. But it seems like you have a lot of understanding of how the brain works. So maybe you're able to manipulate it to your liking. Well, the older I get, the more I realize how little I know. But I know enough to be able to put pen to paper. And neuroscience is something that I have found to be more and more intriguing. If I were to do science over again, instead of being in physics, I think I would be in neuroscience and psychology. So I commend you for what you're doing. Oh, thank you. Since you seem to have a good handle on the subject matter of what is happening in the world, are you writing still with that intention in your books of what you think is going to happen in a predictable way? Or how are you writing? Excellent question. Uh, by the way, I learned to say excellent question or excellent answer when I was a sales representative. Actually, I was, what was, I was director, of, director of marketing, one of the Johnson Johnson companies. Anyway, I like writing for futuristic science fiction uh, speculative fiction, because it allows me to use my imagination to envision a future, also to use my science background, while at the same time, taking current events and projecting them into the future. And right now, climate change is a big issue. So my novels deal with climate change and political intrigue and Middle East terrorism. But and I think, you, I think you probably better than anyone realize that in my books, I don't take a stand. I present both sides. Right. And I let my characters explore the issue and readers can decide what they want to take away. Yeah, I think that's fascinating that you never really make a point of what you want to get across, but you allow the readers to absorb all the information that you throw at them and make their own conclusions. That is not easy to do. <laughs> 
<laughs> so that's a compliment to you. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. I'm looking at my, fi- my face here. My goodness, I sure blush. <laughs> oh, I'm not a good poker player. <laughs> so who inspires you as a writer? The William Golding novel, you know, spurred my curiosity. And writers like Jane Austen for dialogue. Mm-hmm. I also like uh, Herman Wouk. Um, from, from modern authors, I like you know, some of William Golding. Um, I can't say that I, I, I've, I've read every, every line of James Joyce's stuff that, that gets to be sort of a slog after a while. Um, I like Sylvia Plath among you know, contemporary writers. She's very good uh, illustrating you know, psychological issues. I like Thomas Hardy. Uh, and I read you know, a variety of classics and current novels in all genres, not to copy their style. Everyone has to have their own writing style. And I try to have a writing style that uh, flows nicely. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a stickler for grammar. I, uh, I'm a writing coach for Prime Solutions, and uh, I, I know grammar quite well, but I also am flexible enough to realize you have to relax the rules writing fiction, and I do it in a manner that engages the reader and uses a poetic style that allows me to also showcase some of the poetry I write. Uh, I sprinkle it through my books. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask you about that. Um, I love the poetry when that pops up. And the character Indira um, is very fascinating. So oh, have yes. you always written poetry? Is, is that, where did that come from? I've always enjoyed playing with words. And I do a lot of my writing when running. I used to be a, a, a really good competitive runner. I would run twice a day, 100 miles a week. And I use the time by writing. I would come home and I would sit down and earlier in my career, I would write the papers or some of the reports I was working on. Now, when I'm running or using my cross trainer, when I'm on the cross trainer or running, I'm writing my, I'm writing poetry or I'm writing the script for for my books. When I come home, I sit down and write it out. Your mind is always churning. You know, neuroscience shows that our brains are always working. Uh, We have brain states. And each of us is responsible for keeping our brain states in as good a mood as possible. And think about this. It's almost impossible not to be thinking of something. So when I'm out running or doing anything, I like to have an internal dialogue going in my brain. Yes. So you seem to also have um, an educational component to the books um, that you're writing. Are you collaborating with any schools or any educational institutions to share your books? Well, I teach at three schools in the Chicago area. I'm an adjunct uh, instructor at Robert Morris University, DePaul, and DeVry. But with COVID-19, I haven't taught on campus for over a year. My courses, I teach business ethics and 
and allied, you know, uh, liberal arts courses. I teach the graduate stats class at Robert Morris, and I teach programming stuff at, at DeVry. My classes aren't well suited for online teaching. So, uh, and with COVID-19, enrollment's down for campuses. So my courses aren't, don't have enough enrollment to get me to campus. Well, hopefully we'll get you back into that soon. <laughs> well, I use my books as a way to present interesting topics to the readers. And uh, Kirkus Review said they really liked my writing style because it complements Electra Irani, who sometimes doesn't show too much emotion, but that fits neatly with being able to lecture uh, to uh, her, you know, the other characters. And for the readers, it's like attending a fun lecture. No math is involved. <laughs> right. I also love the moments where Electra goes internal and, and we see her internal dialogue. That was a lot of fun. Oh, that, it, you know, internal, internal monologue, internal dialogue is a wonderful way to introduce backstory, introduce character development, uh, and uh, just elaborate on the scene and the setting. I love doing that. And I love to write the, the, the dialogue interplay between Electra, who now has a, another persona, Irani, and Indira, the mother who in the, in the new series becomes the singularity, the breakthrough to artificial intelligence being self-aware. Yeah, I love the explorations of consciousness too. There's, oh. there's so much in that that you can explore. Well, in the books, I explain what consciousness is. And like I say, I'm a simple scholar. So I try to make it interesting for the reader, which means I cut through to the I cut through to the I cut through all the details and get to the meat of the matter, which oftentimes the writings of philosophers muddle. Uh, so I try to make it very, very clear. I, I think it's very digestible. It's a lot of information and it's dense, but the way that it's written, it's very relatable and um, I, I just love it. <laughs> oh, well, thank you for saying that. Electra uses the term information overload. Yes. And in the first series, she's always the one giving overloads to her friends and they criticize her about that. Well, in the second series, Indira, the singularity, she and, she and the Iranian Electra duo are best friends, but Indira now gives Electra the information overload. <laughs> Have you ever thought about taking this series and turning it into perhaps like a film or a TV series? That's John Kane's, uh, he's, he's my prime solutions all-in-one marketing company. That's what he's working on, because I truly believe that the depth and breadth of the series, as well as the action and the way it's portrayed, would make a wonderful TV or network 
uh, uh, series, either for cable or big screen. Yeah, it's because we have all these streaming services too. And the way that you've written the series is very episodic. So I can see it falling very naturally into that. I would like to see that. But, you know, the best reward I can get is having readers and people like you that say they really like it. They, they find it a, a, a riveting you know, fascinating series. That is the best compliment any author can get. The series takes place in the years 21, like 100 years in advance? The first series, and it begins with the first book, The, uh, the Girl with the Lightning Brain, starts in 2092. That's when her parents, uh, and I call them the world stars. And you know, there's a lot of background, but, and, and you understand the background very well because you, you've lived the, the, the books. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of background, but it all fits together. First book begins 2092, Elector is born in 2097, and the first book ends 2118, uh, I think, or, or 21, something like that, when she's, uh, I think she turns, 18 or 21. And the book I'm working on now, and all the books follow chronologically, book seven takes place in the year 2157. So we have, you know, I'm, I'm building a future worldview, but I believe it's pretty realistic because I've taken current science and trends in politics and, you know, economics and whatever, and projected into a realistic future. Yes. So taking all of your wisdom that you have based on all of the knowledge from your being a... A simple scholar. A simple scholar. <laughs> That's the word. Where Can you give an idea of what you think, where we're, where we're, we're going into the next like five, ten years in the world? Do you have an idea of where we're going to end up? I do, and again, I have no crystal ball. I post the articles I write for our writing coach program on our writing coach website. And here's here are the trends that I'm projecting. There is going to be a continuation of you know, climate issues, namely global warming. And I think we're going to see a rise in sea levels. But we're not going to have a, you know, a, 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 a doom and gloom you know, prediction that the world's going to melt. That's not going to happen. But the ice, you know, the ice sheets are going to melt, sea levels are going to rise. And I think there will be probably you know, more variation, colder winters, hotter summers. That's what's being predicted. I'm not projecting this. I'm simply taking what people are, what the experts are saying and adjusting it to my you know, simple scholar you know, formulas. On the world stage, I think we're going to see an, a, an escalation of the Cold War between China and the United States. I don't think it's going to lead to a shooting war, but I think we're going to see China becoming more and more aggressive. And they have to do this before their population gets too old. I also think that Africa and India will become emerging 
superpowers. Yeah, that's that's a little hinted at in your books too, I think. Yes, and I've got characters positioned in all these locations so that it's not simply dropping something out of the sky. What was the Greek term? You know, exdus machina, when you drop something into the book that made no sense. <laughs> Everything that I put in the books are linked together. So I've got characters that are living in India and in China. And we've got characters that are, you know, travel to the Middle East. So uh, we have situations already in place that I can explore sociopolitical trends, uh, uh, climate issues. And I believe, you know, the COVID-19 has accelerated you know, some of the future trends. I think we're going to have, you know, outbreaks of, you know, virus, you know, pandemics occurring in the future. I mean, it's unrealistic to think you can, you can eliminate the common cold. It's been with us, you know, for thousands of years. Same with COVID-19, but we'll adjust. By the way, Electra, thanks to uh, Indira, uh, she's able to get all these, you know, uh, uh, wowie things done because Indira will help Electra when it suits Indira's purposes. Yes. Indira and the Electra Irani duo, they share certain goals. And I'll let the readers figure out what those goals are. <laughs> yeah. Would you like to share anything about your writing program and how people can work with you and Prime Solutions if they would like to? Sure. Uh, they can go to, uh, they can contact Prime Solutions. I think their website is uh, primesolutions-llc.com. Okay, I can add that link into all, all everything so it's easy to click on. Okay, and they, they can also go to uh, lightningbrainseries.com, which is uh, the website for the Lightning Brain Series. And they can, they can follow up there to contact Prime Solutions and they can give them all the information about you know, joining our writing coach program. And our writing coach program is actually, it's a win-win-win. It's good for the people that sign up because unlike other writing coach programs, our writing coach program is academically grounded. I've got five degrees. And in, in our writing coach program, I give them enough you know, background in linguistics and social sciences and science. So the, so the writer knows enough, just like our readers will learn enough by reading the books, to be well-versed in what they need to know. Yeah, well-rounded. I try this, just like my characters. I try to make my characters well-rounded. I try not to have any one-dimensional stereotypes for his readers. Yeah, I think you've done a great job with that. I've been surprised at times. <laughs> good, good. <laughs> yeah. So I usually ask this question to wrap up the conversation. If your inner voice had a billboard, what would it say to the world? A billboard? It, my, my, if my inner voice had a billboard, it would say, don't take life too seriously. Take it seriously enough so that you can find meaningful goals 
that you want to pursue, but don't put unrealistic pressure on yourself uh, to meet all your expectations. Enjoy what you are doing. That's something Electra constantly have, has to remind herself, enjoy the moment. Yeah, I love that. I would say that in future audio novels, perhaps intermixing some, some music in there would be of interest. Oh, yeah. Because in my novels, and you know this, uh, uh, there are certain places where Electra is thinking to herself, and in the background, she hears music. Uh, that would be a wonderful you know, addition to audiobooks. But you'd know that better than I, you know, yeah. how, to, how to work that in. We'll see how we can get that in there. I'm a musician, too, so. I know. Maybe I can <laughs> fiddle something. You know, I have to commend you because uh, you have taken charge of your life. You're originally from West Virginia? I am, yes. I've been through there. And uh, I have relatives that live in Virginia. Uh, I've driven through West Virginia. And you deserve a tremendous amount of credit for picking up. And you moved. Are you currently in Los Angeles? Yes. I went to school in Chicago. I went to college in Chicago for acting. Northwestern or Columbia? Uh, Columbia. Columbia. And then I went to L.A. And I was a little frustrated about the inauthenticity of the business there. And so I went to Italy for a while and Pittsburgh and Boston. And I've worked with um, some AI companies. I'm actually working with an AI company now. And so there's a lot of like overlapping themes within the Electra series. And yeah, it's really inspiring me. Everything you're doing touches on topics in the Lightning Brain series. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it was sometimes a little I won't wouldn't say frightening, but amazing how something in the book would pop up and it would be like a parallel to my life and that happens all of the time. No wonder you're such a wonderful you know, narrator, a, a, a wonderful voice for for Electra. I must ask you, may I ask you a question? Sure. Yeah. Do you find that the Electra Alicia duo in the first series? And the Electra-Irani duo in the second series uh, is uh, is easy to keep clear? Yeah, I think it's very clear. Oh, great. I loved the Electra-Alicia duo. That was a lot of fun. Oh, I loved writing it because Electra, as you know, is sort of straight-laced and unemotional. And Alicia is her fun-loving self. Everyone has a fun-loving self. And Alicia becomes the actress and the politician. I was very surprised by that, but happy to explore that and play around with that. <laughs> well, like I say, you deserve a tremendous amount of credit for taking control of your career, moving from West Virginia to Los Angeles, and then your, you know, uh, your your music and your your neuroscience work and AI work, and and you're very young, so time is on your side. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for taking the time to join me on this podcast. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Thank you again for, 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 for having me on. And again, I thank you and, and John Kane at Prime Solutions for making all this happen. Thank you so much for joining me this week. If you're listening and you like what you hear, please consider subscribing and rating this podcast as it really helps get this podcast out to other people who might be interested in hearing it but don't know about it yet. And also, if you'd like to 
contact me or reach me, you can reach me at unconditioningpodcast at gmail.com or unconditioningpodcast on Instagram. Thank you so much. And until next time, stay tuned in to you.